There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Fun Factory, written and read by Chris England. Chapter 7. The Mayor of Mudcombe Dyke. Your own, your very own, bellowed the master of proceedings above the hubbub. Mr. George Roby, hey, hey, oh. Hang on a mo, I thought. I'd heard that name. George Roby, the Prime Minister of Mirth, was one of Mr. Luscombe's favourites. Roby had transformed himself. His already luxuriant eyebrows were heavily accentuated with makeup and were now two huge black half moons covering most of his forehead. A little round derby perched up top, with two small tufts of dark curly hair sprouting above his ears. His jacket was a couple of sizes too small, and his trousers and shoes a couple of sizes too large, and he supported his weight on an achingly slender ribbed cane which looked like it might snap at any moment. The crowd was still rowdy from their success in banishing the upstart beginner, but Roby stood before them with a look of benign puzzlement on his face. He began telling tales of an everyday life not so very different to their own, except that everything about him said, fallen on hard times, as clearly as if he had it written on a sign hanging round his neck. All his stories were designed, I could see, to make the audience feel smarter than Roby himself, and he was the unwitting butt of every one of them. He even became indignant that he was not getting the sympathy he felt he deserved. "'I'm not here,' he protested, "'to become a laughingstock!' As I watched the audience, not a couple of minutes earlier, a rabble throwing missiles and shouting abuse, calm down, relax and begin to laugh as one, I realised that I was seeing the power in action. Roby was a master of it, in complete control. "'Desist!' he cried haplessly, meaning them to continue, and they did. I found that I was not laughing myself. It was funny, I could see it was funny, and I wanted to laugh, I really did, but I didn't want to miss even a moment of the experience.' It was as if I was thrilled beyond laughter by Roby's display and was already processing it, dissecting it, taking it apart in my mind to see how it worked. And in my youthful arrogance I felt that I'd been shown a vision of my own future, that I too was capable of this mastery. Too soon Roby was done and exited the stage to rapturous acclaim. I gave the next acts a few minutes but they were pale shadows in comparison. I was on pins, anxious to commune with the master and hurried round to his dressing room as soon as I thought decent. "'Come!' he boomed in response to my knock, and there he sat, at a large mirror with a pot of cold cream, wiping away at his huge eyebrows. "'Come in! Sit!' he cried, wafting his arm at a battered but comfortable armchair. "'How do you like it, eh?' "'Um, marvellous. You were marvellous. "'You're very polite,' Roby smiled. "'Bit of work to do after that walking calamity just before me, but in extremis we find ourselves, don't you think?' "'I'm sure you're right,' I said. "'So you're under Alf's wing, are you?' I often think of Alf as a mother hen clucking round his chicks, making sure they all get their peck of corn, don't you know? I smiled, nodded. Good fellow, Alf. Salt of the earth. And if you can make your way with Carno, you'll not go far wrong. Some very fine comedians he's brought on in his time, and no mistake. Fred Kitchen now, he's as good as anyone. And Harry Weldon, too. 
Carno won't pay them a quarter of what they're worth, but they won't leave him because they're safe. They feel comfortable. It's guaranteed work, 52 weeks a year, and they never have to go out and sell themselves. It's never their name on the bill. It's always Carno's, and Carno's name will always bring a crowd. Now, maybe a crowd would come to see good old Fred Kitchen or Harry Weldon, but they'll never find out, will they? Because they haven't got the nerve. Now, say what you like about that sorry youth tonight. He may have stunk worse than a weak old halibut, but it took courage to go out there like that, especially with that material, by the way, which is somewhat second-hand, and second-hand old hat at that. Some of Carno's lads could do with striking out on their own and testing themselves. They won't, though, because they don't see the bigger picture. Not like me. But then I have the benefit, you see, of a Cambridge education, he announced grandly. Really? Oh, yes, I'm the finished article, you might say, both comedically and intellectually. Which college did you go to, if you don't mind my asking? Of course I don't mind, young man. Of course not. Cambridge, of course, as I said. No, I meant which Cambridge college? I'm from Cambridge, you see, and I know them all. Oh, his eyes narrowed. Oh, yes, I used to play cricket with porters from all the colleges. Jesus, Emmanuel, Clare, Trinity Hall, Peterhouse. Roby looked a bit shifty now. Ha, ha, indeed, indeed. What was the second one? Emmanuel? You were Emmanuel, sir. Now, you see, you're running ahead of yourself. What I said was, I had the benefit of a Cambridge education, which is to say, my tutor was a Cambridge man. Yes, my tutor was educated at, um, Emmanuel College? Just so. My tutor, the man who gave me the benefit of his Cambridge education, I see, when I was at Oxford. Ha! Roby allowed himself a little beam of self-satisfaction, having turned this around. I judged it was time to shut up. In any case, just then, there was a knock on the door, and Alf Reeves's head poked into the room. The rest of him seemed reluctant to follow. Alfred, there you are. Time for a snifter, what do you say? No thanks, George. I find it hard enough to control that blasted jalopy when I'm sober, and I shall get this lad back to his bed. Suit yourself. Good night, young man. A pleasure to make your acquaintance. George reached over to shake my hand, and as Alfred retreated into the corridor, I felt myself pulled in close for a last private word. I trust we can keep our earlier conversation um, about my education between the two of us. One doesn't like to brag, you know. That night at Forrester's was my first experience of music hall, and I fell in love with it. I saw success, and I saw failure, and the heady balancing act between the two. I had a glimpse of what it was like to be a member of that secret brotherhood behind the scenes, how special that felt. Best of all, in Roby's performance I saw the power in action, and I knew that was what I wanted to do, and where I wanted to be. How to get there, of course, that was the tricky part. But all thoughts of slinking back to the college were put to one side. I was sure that I had, that very evening, met a man who would have a profound influence on the course of my career and my life. What I didn't realise was that I'd actually met two. Chapter 8. Fred Carno's Army the next day, the Saturday, I was painting again, but now I was painting with a purpose. With every brush stroke, I was calculating where the painting might ultimately lead me, onwards and upwards. Saturday night was pay night, my first. Clara told me that the tradition was that all the performers from all the various Carno shows currently playing in the halls of London would head back to the fun factory at the end of the evening for their packet, and after dinner she dispatched me back up to Camberwell to join them. When I arrived, the double doors were thrown open to the summer evening, and at least a couple of hundred people clustered around the gas lamps to gossip and swap stories while they waited to collect their wages. As I stood by myself, I found my eye taken by a group of girls from who knows what show. 
They were all dazzlingly attractive, with their hair piled up on top of their heads, and dressed to be looked at, I reckoned, with their tight, brightly coloured bodices and long, flowing skirts. So that's what I did. One in particular held my attention, and she did seem to be the ringleader, holding court almost, making all the others laugh with comments she passed about the men within their orbit. She was quite short, buried almost under a pile of blonde ringlets, which I thought most becoming, and I liked the way she seemed to fizzle with pleasure as she amused her friends, keeping them in a constant giggle. As I watched her, trying not to make my interest too obvious, I realised to my horror that she had turned her sardonic spotlight onto me. All the girls in her group were looking straight at me, and burst into a gale of tittering as the blonde girl whispered a crack at my expense. I felt myself colouring up, and then she set her head back confidently and walked straight over to me. "'Hello, lonesome,' she began. "'We were just saying, my friends and I, that we hadn't seen you around here before. Are you fresh meat?' "'I suppose I am,' I replied, more than a little flustered, not only to be talking to this creature, who close to was quite dazzling, with bright green eyes, perfect teeth, and a face that looked like it only knew how to smile, but also to be doing so under the scrutiny of everyone she knew. "'I'm pleased to make your acquaintance,' she said, holding out a small, gloved hand. "'I'm Matilda Beckett, but everyone calls me Tilly. Tilly Beckett. How do you do?' "'Arthur Dando,' I said, taking her hand with a small, formal nod. "'Ooh, that's not bad. Do you think of that yourself?' "'Think of what?' "'That name, Dando. It says you're a dandy, man-about-town kind of style, "'but the O brings just a hint of the clown. I like it.' "'I shrugged. I didn't think of it. It's just my name.' "'No, your real name, and here am I thinking it's a bit of Bill Matter.' "'I smiled, trying desperately to come up with something, "'some gambit to make an impression, as she chattered on. "'I was thinking I might get myself a new name when I, fingers crossed, "'move up from chorus to artist, a nom de plume sort of thing. "'Tilly de plume, that's not bad.' I must have looked baffled, because she felt the need to explain. I'm chorus, you see. Most of these people here are supers, which is to say walking scenery, but me and the girls are chorus, because we actually have something to do in our show. Chorus is above super. Here she began illustrating this little hierarchy with her hands. Then next above chorus there's artiste, when you have something to do all by yourself, or you actually have lines to speak. Then there's featured, then there's principal, and then the number one. And then, I said, well, and then it's the governor, I suppose. And then she laughed and slapped my arm. I don't know, silly. And then God, I suppose. She glanced back towards her group, and to keep her talking to me I ventured, And what do you do, the chorus in your show? Ah, well, she said, the show is the Yap Yaps. Do you know it? I shook my head. It's set on the seafront at Brighton, very nicely painted, and the young gentlemen and ladies, that's us, promenade along the, um, promenade? Uh, just so. We promenade along the promenade, and by and by a breeze gets up and blows our dresses up around our ankles, you see. Cheeky. Which gets the groundlings going a bit. Not this dress, in fact, but one specially made to catch the draught from these great fans which are down in the pit, pointing upwards as we pass. You with me? I was. Then a second time the breeze is stronger, and maybe there's a hint of a nicely turned calf, a knee even. And then finally, once every red-blooded male in the place has a crick in his neck trying to sneak a peek, there comes the most tremendous gust which blows our skirts right up over our heads, and we all run from the stage in our frilly drawers screaming our heads off. My expression, as the mental picture this conjured was playing in my mind's eye, must have made her think I disapproved, as she went on... Not high art, exactly, I know, and I dare say we've set the cause of female emancipation back by a decade or two, but there it is. You do what you have to do, don't you, to get on. Don't the men in the show find it distracting? I asked. I was sure I would have. Oh, no, 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 we never have any trouble in that regard. All the chorus men are specially selected, you see, from those of, how shall I put this, a more artistic disposition. They're interested in higher things. 
No, no, roughly the same height, just different. They're interested in different things. And so what about you, Arthur? What do you do? Oh, I've been busy painting this monstrosity, I said, indicating the hulking form of the won't detain you lowering in the darkness above us. Oh, I see, she said, looking up politely, taking in the scale of the project. But I meant on stage. What show are you in? I'm not, I said. I haven't done one yet. What? None at all? Not one? I shrugged. I shook my head. Tilly took a step back. Why, Arthur Dando, she cried. You mean to tell me you're not even a super? You're the lowest fellow here, you mean to say? Why, you're nothing. Nothing at all. She pretended to come over all flustered. At least I hoped she was pretending. This won't do. I can't be seen talking to you. I've my career to think of. And with that, she flashed me a dazzling smile and skipped back to her friends who had a good old cackle at my expense. Suddenly, a frisson of excitement flashed around the dock like ball lightning. The supers murmured giddily to one another. Fred's coming. It's Fred Garno. He's crossing the road now. Ties were straightened, lips were pursed attractively, busts prodded and realigned, and all eyes turned towards the double doors. I confess I too was staring at the entrance, eager for another glimpse of the dapper little fellow whose single scribbled word, Come, had dragged me here from my cosy perch up in Cambridge, if only to demonstrate that he did actually exist. Just as it seemed the assembled company might spontaneously burst from sucking its guts in and sticking its chests out, a young man, shortish, baby-faced, with slick back hair and an apologetic look, slipped in through the huge scene dock doors to be almost blown back out into the street by a couple of hundred people exhaling in disappointment. It was Freddy, of course, not enjoying himself one bit. Carno Jr. blushed and then began setting up a trestle table and a couple of chairs for himself and his assistants. While his back was turned, the whole great barnful of people rearranged itself, as if playing a huge and brilliantly coordinated practical joke on him, so that when he plonked a couple of great ledgers and cash boxes down on the table and looked up, the entire assembly was waiting in orderly queues in front of him. Everyone seemed acutely aware of both their own status and that of everyone else in the place, and so this process had occurred with the absolute minimum of fuss. I was staring open-mouthed at this spectacle when suddenly Tilly grabbed my arm urgently. "'Do you want to wait all night? Come on!' she hissed, pulling me into the line alongside hers. Freddy blinked and coughed and smiled a watery smile, then sat down to begin paying the mob. Maybe twenty minutes of shuffling later, the fellow in front was telling Freddy his name and the show he'd been doing that week, adding ingratiatingly as he collected his earnings, "'So nice to see you again, Mr Carno. Remember me to your father, won't you?' Freddy grinned, as if every single one of the supers he had so far dealt with had had something similar to say, and the fellow departed." I stepped up. Arthur Dando, remember me? I've been working on the won't detain you. Dando, 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 Freddy mumbled, running his finger down page after page of names until he came across mine. Ah, here you are, right at the very bottom of the heap. This resonated deep in my subconscious, along with Tilly giggling. Why, you're nothing, nothing at all. He counted out my money and tipped the coins into my palm, expecting me to leave directly, but I stood my ground. "'It'll be more next week, you know, once the show goes up,' he said, frowning. "'Yes,' I said, resolved not to remain at the bottom of the heap a moment longer than necessary. "'I was wondering whether I might speak to your father, please, on a matter of some importance.' Freddy snorted. "'I'm sure you were. Well, he's over the road, paying the featured artists, and all supers are strictly forbidden from forcing themselves upon him on a Saturday night, and that goes double for painters and decorators. Understood?' Crushed, I nodded and stepped out through the double doors and into the darkness. I looked around for Matilda Beckett, but her cue had been paid more briskly than mine, and she disappeared into the night. 
Over on the far side of Cold Harbour Lane, a public house called the Enterprise was lit up, the windows and doors thrown open to catch the summer breeze, and the sound of loud, mostly male, mirth and merriment carried across the deserted street. I couldn't make out what was being said, but from the rhythms of the laughter I gathered that someone was holding court, and his adoring courtiers were lapping up his every word. That's where I should be, I thought to myself, over there. Surely Fred Carner didn't spot me on the stage in Cambridge and think, there's a likely lad who'd make a perfectly adequate job of painting my scenery. He'd want me to walk over there and make myself known to him. The Enterprise was fifty yards away, but it might as well have been a hundred miles. I took a step out into the road to cross over towards the lights, but another loud gale of laughter blew away my nerve and I stopped again. Just then, a small figure emerged and trotted over to me. It was Charlie Bell, my landlord. By God, he said, I've had a belly full of that. Come on, let's go home. Good of you to wait for me. Arthur, isn't it? That's right, I said. And after one last long, wistful glance over the road, I hurried after him towards the late tram stop. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.